nomine de nostri satanus luciferi excelsior. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, the king of the world, I command the forces of darkness to bestow their infernal power upon me. Open wide the gates of hell and come forth from the abyss to greet me as your brother and friend. Grant me the indulgences of which I speak. I have taken thy name as part of myself. I live as the beasts of the field, rejoicing in the fleshly life. I favor the just and curse the rotten. By all the gods of the pit, I command that these things of which I speak shall come to pass. Come forth in answer to your names by manifesting my desires. Oh, hear the names. Asmodeus, Loki, Marduk, Lilith. Satan. Lucifer. Belial. Leviathan. great pride and honor of all the devils in the pit. I call out to my brothers, circling hell with their great strength that you may hear. O brother, who is cast from your realm, bless me in mine. Spread wide the wings and let them embrace me. Provide me the strength to stand on the highest and achieve that which I desire. I have recognized myself, my talent, and my need in others. To those who would prove themselves worthy, I am friend, I am lover. To those unworthy, I am adversary, devil, and destroyer. On my highest of holidays I call out to you, O minions of the abyss, O brothers cast aside, O feared beasts of night. I call out to you so that you may know me as your brother, your equal. I have long aligned myself, purified my being in your fires. I have climbed to the highest earths. I have felt your caress in the wind and called out your name in the darkest night. I have transformed to the beast in your name, striking fear into my enemies and admiration in my brothers. I have called for the compassion through destruction of those too weak to ask for it themselves, and you answered. I now call for the continued strength you have given me, and on this wickedest of days when so many years I was brought fighting, screaming into this harsh, unforgiving world, I ask again, O oh brother, O oh friend, O oh devil of the flames of Gehenna, grant me your continued blessing. 
Shem Ham Farash. Hail Satan. Hail Adam. Hail Satan. Mikama Gohu Piyad Zodia Kam Selahe Azodian Biabe Olo Ne Dohe Norezodakahesa Otahila Gigapahe Vaunud Elkahesa Tapuime Komos Pelahe Tolekahe Kuinu Toltoregi Kaisi Ai Kaisaji Emozidien Dasata Boregida Od Tonezudol Ili Eol Balzodarehi Od Ala Tahilonuos Natebi Daluga Boamasareji Elonusu Kapemiali Varuesa, Kala, Homila, Kusabe, Fafenu, Izudizurop, Od, Minoagi, Di, Genetabe, Vano, Nanael, Panupire, Male, Piraji, Kuasaji, Pilada, Noano, Bonoale, Palata, Od Vona, Dohuepe, Mada, Koholoare, Gos, Amerano, Mekarama, Yersuzod, Kakakom, Odonano, Norari, Mekalozoda, Aemo, Kasaramaji, Gohi, Zolaka, Vane Gilati, Od Imaruma, Pogu, Belapei, Ananael, Uan. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. <laughs> I've got a very, very different, very special episode for you this week. That's right. Not only did I start with the invocation that I wrote with great help from the Satanic Bible uh, to celebrate one's birthday, but I've got a guest today, pre-recorded, 
that I want to introduce a very special guest, Ari Bach, and his newest product, his Surrealist Tarot Deck. Now, I need to tell everyone out there initially, I apologize. And I say this because I've actually had a number of guests lined up at a specific interval. But because this is my holiday celebration episode, because this is my birthday episode, I'm going to be breaking slightly from that. And, and literally, quite literally, just pushing one week forward all of the guests that I've had scheduled. Now, I've already updated the website, 9centspodcast.com, to reflect this. And I hope you, you know, are, are cool with that. Because I wanted to get uh, Ari Box Surrealist Tarot on the show for a couple of reasons. Initially, because it's a fantastic tarot deck. Uh, secondarily, uh, I had a really great conversation. And actually, I think maybe the best part of the conversation happened after I stopped the interview. So unfortunately, it's going to be a number of months before anyone hears any part of that, if at all. But what I did record for the interview is quite worthy, and it's quite entertaining, at least I think. Ari Bach is one of those artists who, uh, on the surface, uh, their voice may sound a little bit dry, but there is a richness to the personality, um, to their sense of humor, that really speaks volumes. So we'll see if you can pick up on that, uh, little comments that really enrich the interview. And I've actually had a number of guests on the show, and a number coming up. I've got some really, really great, great guests lined up that are similar to this. And I know I've talked on the show before about um, being, you know, incredibly lucky, you know, talking to fantastic Satanists and uh, individuals as a whole. Uh, and this is just really one more in that long tradition that I'm creating with Nine Cents. It's, it's truly an honor. But like I said at the top here, we have a very special episode today. I'm going to be bringing you <laughs> much to my enjoyment, and I hope to yours, though perhaps not, uh, a few more musical numbers, not many. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be bringing in the interview, as mentioned, and I'm going to be doing some sort of live riffing on on uh, Infernal Informant. Now, I've been drinking since 10 o'clock this morning, since that video that you saw at the top of the show. Uh, I did that this morning. Um, and so, you know, I, I sort of partook <laughs> at the beginning there at like 10.30 uh, through my chalice uh, Bushmills. And actually, let me... I'm not sponsored by Bushmills, but <laughs> I should be <laughs> because I drink enough of their product. If, if you're a fan of whiskey at all, you should absolutely check out Bushmills. It's, it's so smooth. I don't understand why anyone drinks Jack Daniels. It's... I grew up on Jack, and so it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm talking shit about them. But if you want a smooth whiskey, it's not American, but it should be. It is so good, and it is so smooth. Bushmills is the way to go. And I have, uh, in my big old fucking plastic cup, some homebrew Pilsner, Bohemian Pilsner, and one of the best Pilsners I've brewed as of yet. I've been enjoying that as well. So, this may be an inebriated, tangent, strewn nine cents, but I hope that adds to the enjoyment in the smallest of parts. Okay, so, 
Why am I breaking from format? Why am I doing this? Because the 15th, tomorrow, and actually probably the day that most of you are hearing this, not only on Radio Free Satan, but on my RSS feed, because most people don't check out my live show whenever I sporadically record it, and it's probably because I sporadically record it, uh, it's my birthday. So, you know what? I am another year older. Not really a deeper in debt at all, but I am another year older. I've sent my family away so that I can spend the day uh, with myself, reconnecting with my thoughts, my mind. It's kind of hard when you're a father and a husband to really have time alone and, and really be able to concentrate and think. So whenever I get the opportunity, which is random and, and quite rare, I seize on it. My birthday is one of those opportunities. Now, since my birthday falls on a Monday, obviously I'm celebrating on the Sunday prior. I can't really drink when I'm supposed to be at work the next day or on that day. So, it is my birthday. I was born 514 in Fort Lewis, Washington to Kimberly and Tom, uh, my parents. Uh, they would later divorce and my mom would spend uh, many years in some really shitty single-parent slums. Some of my earliest friends were poverty-stricken black boys, and I never have forgotten those moments. And the connection that I shared with my two sisters, eating oatmeal for dinner, breakfast and lunch, because that's all we could fucking afford, um... Holidays with uh, literally just family, immediate family, my mom and my two older sisters. And that's it. And the community in those projects. You know, I don't forget where I come from. And it was only a few years that I spent like that. But those few years had a lasting, a lasting um, memory in me that makes any sense. When I was growing up, my mom always used to tell me she was a fan of Elvis Presley, and she always used to tell me that one song in particular of his was particularly, um, well, let's say germane to being raised and raising a, a family and, and being raised as a, um, you know, a poor, poor environment. And that was Elvis Presley's In the Ghetto. So if, if you will uh, indulge me for a moment. As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morning Another little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mother cries Cause if there's one thing that she don't need It's another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto People don't you understand Child needs a helping hand He'll grow to be an angry young man someday Take a look at you and me We too blind to see do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? Well, the wind turned. And an angry young boy with a running nose plays in the streets with the cold and blows in the ghetto. 
and his hunger burns. So he starts to roam the streets at night and he learns how to steal and he learns how to fight in the ghetto. And from that point on, it really doesn't <laughs> hold much meaning uh, to me. But, you know, that the little bit that I did experience was, um, you know, as a young man, pretty powerful um, being raised in that environment. So let me, uh, let me talk about a couple things here. First of all, you know, b- because I was raised in such a way that I had witnessed my sisters going through young parenting. I mean, they both had children when they were relatively young. I, I consider young. I had waited a number of years before I had children of my own. And after the first one, I had scheduled a vasectomy. And I told my wife that if we were going to have another child, that this is the point where we need to do it before I get fixed. Because after that, there's no turning back. Naturally. I mean, you know, operations can be made and all, but I I couldn't guarantee it. So, uh, I had made a deal with her that if she goes off of her uh, birth control and I skate the vasectomy and we don't have any contraceptives or anything, then whatever happens, happens. And that's pretty much how it went. Um... You know, I had, uh, I'm going through here in my closing windows here. Uh, I had scheduled an appointment originally. You know, whenever you have a vasectomy, you have to talk to your family physician and get a recommendation for one. And I had this really fantastic Spanish family physician at the time who had recommended me to a doctor who is currently serving time, donating his time over in Iraq. This was a number of years ago when the Iraq war was in full swing. And I had made an appointment with him after he came back to have him do my vasectomy. A couple reasons, primarily because one, she really trusted this doctor, and two, if, if he was willing to devote his time to injured soldiers then that's the type of doctor that I would want to, you know, really <laughs> have me in his hands, in the most literal of senses. Uh, long story short, not really going to happen, but we'll pretend like it is. Uh, he spent more time over there than my appointment would uh, fall into. So I had to make another appointment, and this time I figured, because I already had the recommendation... Or the referral. I don't need to necessarily go through my family physician anymore. And so I looked on my own for doctors that have been performing vasectomies for a number of years. My, my idea going into this was that the older they are, the more experience they have in this field, I can trust them more. What I didn't realize, if I can foreshadow this conversation briefly, was that doctors actually... Uh, have evolved the practice of the vasectomy. And the procedure has altered since it has originally began. I didn't know this at the time. Foolishly, and I wholeheartedly admit that this is my fault. So I make an appointment with this doctor who has been doing this for a number of years. Uh, I, I believe around 23 or something. 
an older gentleman, I won't name any names, but I go to the initial interview, and, and actually the, the first time I meet him is the day of the procedure. Uh, I go in there, uh, very cute young nurses take me in the room, I have my family waiting outside in the welcome area so they can drive me home because I've been told that it's difficult to drive or do anything afterward, immediately. Uh, and, and let me start, before I get into details here, by saying that I was told by people who have had vasectomies that this is a simple, regular, safe procedure that lasts three days. And then you're back on your feet, and you can even have sex after three to five days, depending on personal experience. And this is not only by literature from previous vasectomy individuals, but actual people who've gotten it that I've met in real life. So I... Trust that people are going to fucking tell me the truth, right? I mean, you would imagine. What I didn't take into account is that idea that throughout you know, you live your life, you tend to forget the negative, and you tend, generally, to focus on the positive. So when you look back at an experience, you don't necessarily remember all of the really horrible details, like the nitty gritty shit. You really type sort of focus on. You know, it was uncomfortable and all, but really it only took me about X amount of time to get over it, and it wasn't that big of a deal. You, you simplify things as, as you look back on them. Hindsight my ass. So, I go into this gentleman. His nurses are really great. They sent me in there. He comes in. He meets me for the first time. This guy is really personal. He gets up in my face. This is the first time I'm meeting this guy. He gets maybe three to four inches from my nose, and I don't back off because I don't do that with people. I... You know, if they want to step up on me, I let them step up until something happens. And he says, are you scared? And up until that point, I wasn't. But at that point, when he stepped up to me, and he said that in a calm, cool demeanor, fuck yes, I was fucking scared. I was terrified. Are you kidding me? And I tell him, honestly, like, now I am. Thanks for saying that all dramatically. Yeah, I'm scared. He says, don't be scared, because if you're scared, I slip. So now I'm absolutely terrified. This is the doctor, the very first time I'm meeting this guy, telling me, if I'm scared, he slips. Panic is rushing into my mind. Blood is pumping. Adrenaline is flushing my veins. I sit down on the operating table. He goes over the procedure really nice. He's nice. He's talking to me about uh, the tattoos that I have on my body, you know, sort of commenting on them. Uh, We get talking about service. I told him I was in the Army. He told me his son was in the Air Force. I make a crack about the Air Force, which in retrospect was probably a stupid fucking maneuver. And I think from this story, point of the story on, is because of that snide remark about the Air Force and his son's service. Stupid on me. What can I do? I can't really fix it at this point. So, (laughs) he lays me down, gets me completely undressed, and he dips this, uh, at the end of these uh, sort of pincher tong things, uh, uh, cotton ball, dips it in um, iodine. And I had taken great pride in the shaving of my junk. (laughs) If you've listened to this show before, you know I'm a fan of the manscaping. So I have gone out of my way. I did not want a stranger with a razor down there. So I went out of my way to do that myself. I 
lovingly with care, shaving cream, and a, a, a very brand new sharp razor, cleanly shaved everything. So it was like baby bottom smooth. I mean, this was you know the greatest shave I've ever had in my entire life on my junk. For my vasectomy. I was very proud of it. And so, when I took my pants off, I was actually kind of like arching my back. Like, look at this. Look at this. The light was gleaming off of the freshness of the shave. And bling, 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 bling. And he like sort of like turned away from the brightness and the awe. And I can't guarantee that this actually occurred. But in my mind, I almost heard angels heralding the unveiling of my junk. It was, like, amazing sight to behold. And I looked over on his tray, and yes, he had this, what at the time I saw as a rusty, jagged-bladed, Bic, single-blade razor. And I don't know, I can't guarantee, that this was out of spite for the Air Force Sun comment I had made earlier. Or whether it's just procedure that they have to go through as if they're a tattooist and they just need to reshave the area to make sure that there's no hair. But he took this single blade and raked it across my delicates, <laughs> we'll say. And it wasn't delicate at all. It was terrible. So I went into my happy place. <laughs> I looked up at the track lighting in this office and I focused on the sputtering neon glow emanating from the light. And I just went into my happy place as he was scraping my balls with this razor. Quickly he finished and he seemed a little confused as he took the iodine soaked cotton ball on a stick, we'll call it. And he started rubbing it all around my area. Now, at this point, I'm assuming that this is regular procedure. Iodine supposedly sterilizes the area of all germs. You don't want any bacteria or germs growing when there's any open wounds in any way. So I figure that this is completely normal until my junk is flip-flopping around my body like a propeller from 1943 starting up an airplane. I mean, like, flop, 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 in a freaking... <laughs> counterclockwise circle and it's like gaining momentum like I understand if, if if this is the first time that you're doing this to me uh, you're just sort of going in a circle to try to get up but it's almost as if he sort of got into it and just yeah it just seems how much speed we can get this guy going through so I'm like flip flopping around I'm focusing on the slide like please at this moment please do not do not Get stiff. I do not want any firmness at all at this point. Because that would not only ruin the rhythm of this very, you know, fantastic rhythm that I'm producing, but just to say that I'm getting off on this doctor flipping my junk around. I'm not down with that in the least, especially this doctor. I mean, maybe if it was like some, you know, female who is, you know, you know, mid to late 30s and you know, sex and everything, but that wasn't the case. This was an old dude, a wrinkly old man, and he was flopping my junk as if I was in some sort of 1970s porn without air. So I am focusing all that I, I am mustering all the energy, I'm pulling in all of the chaos of the universe to stop me from getting any sort of excitement out of this. And you know, the problem is, I can't 
I can't help but think that I'm not the only person here. Whenever your junk is being messed with, you know, you sort of lose control. I mean, there, there's a level where you have control and there's a level where your junk reacts. And your body is going to react no matter what. I'm proud to say that my body didn't react and I had maintained everything that I needed to maintain. It was hard. It was not easy. And at the end, I looked like Bozo the Clown down there with all the orange freaking iodine and the freaking, you know, after even stopped, it flopped a couple more times just because of the freaking natural motion of the thing. (laughs) So he's looking around and he looks at the little table that's next to the little operating table with all these little instruments on it. And he looks at me, he's like, I'll be right back. Keep in mind that I am completely naked at this point, laying on an operating table with track lighting, shining light all over my orange junk at this moment. Orange shaved junk, I might add. (laughs) Really not the good place to be in. He leaves the office. Before he leaves, he lays this paper over my head. Like, my entire shaft is barren. He lays it right over my head, as if it's like, I don't don't know, like, like a... Like a pasty on a freaking stripper or something. As long as the tip of the the breast is covered, then it's okay. As long as the, the tip of my junk is covered, then it's completely okay. You know, whatever. So the tip of my junk is covered. He leaves the room. A nurse walks in, and I am barren, like just open. She walks to the other side of the room after I know she spied a glance. Giggles. Now, I can't guarantee you what that giggle was about, but I'm pretty sure it was about me and mine. So, she stays in long enough for me to feel like a total asshat and then leaves. The doctor comes back in, goes to the table, he's like, oh, well, I I didn't think I had my tools, but they're right here on the aluminum desk. The same aluminum desk, I might add, that's been there the entire time that he actually pulled the freaking cotton ball swabs off of. So, it's not like he didn't know it was there. So he pulls out the soldering gun and commences to burn me open. Now, I've been told by people prior and after that this is a normal part of the process. But there's something internal that when you see smoke rising from your sack, all you can think of doing is screaming, OH MY GOD, I'M BURNING! It's just the worst thing in the world, smelling your own burning skin. It's terrible. So, I'm observing this, and I'm literally, at this point, he's like pulling and tugging at little bits and parts all within my newly opened sack. Burned open, not sliced open, not mind you, which somehow in my mind seems a lot worse. And I'm feeling like freaking Willem Wallace in the end of Braveheart. Like, my intestines are being pulled or something. I'm like, you really feel it up in your entire body. You, you know, your body proper here. You know what? It was a horrible experience. And near the end, you know, he added insult to injury by when I was pulling my underwear on, he cut my balls to keep them from moving because of the stitches. And it was just like the most uncomfortable experience of my life. And after three days, I thought I was ready to have sex. Boy, was that the biggest mistake of my entire life. Never, never, never have sex after three days of just having a vasectomy. (laughs) If I could partake one bit of wisdom throughout my entire life experience, that would be it. Wait at least two weeks, maybe three weeks, if you can. It it was a nightmare. It was the worst feeling of my life. Now, I've had friends who've had vasectomies where they actually, like, uh, 
like inflamed. They like, you know, get infected and get like really large. And I was lucky enough that that never happened to me. But the actual experience was, was terrible. It's absolutely a nightmare. So, <laughs> with that said, uh, <laughs> let's run through a little bit of uh, Infernal Informant before I get onto this interview, shall we? <laughs> it, you know, it was it was like a, a tangent to go off on, but I I haven't told that story yet on this show, and I've really kind of wanted to for a long time. It was really sort of a nightmarish moment for me. So I'm glad I shared that with you. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's move on to Infernal Informant and talk about some live um, news shows if we can. All right, let's see what's on the roster here today. On Sunday's show is Michelle Bachman outlines economic cures for the U.S. Let me say something about Michelle Bachman. She is like a fucking... She's as dumb as a bag of hammers. She's just like a retarded... Christian mindset brainwashed fool who has nothing to offer except for talking points. The only reason why she's still in the political arena is because she's latched on to the Tea Party, whom I might add was never a part of her process during her earlier years. Only since cropping up did she latch on to their fucking ridiculous corporate inspired talking points. Uh, Michelle Bachman's a total douchebag. Oh, you know what I want to talk about briefly here is the London uh, riots. Uh, I say London. Um, the riots happening over there in England. England. This is very reminiscent of L.A., the L.A. riots after Rodney King. People like to react to uh, some sort of negativity. So... Uh, this kid gets shot by the London police, uh, and they decide to react. Now, initially, peacefully, whatever, uh, they react, and suddenly the reaction is no longer, or has no longer meaning. It is literally people seizing on the opportunity of the moment. And that's really what's happening right now. These are opportunists. You know, they pretend like, oh, we want to just tell the police and tell the wealthy that we can do whatever we want. Bullshit. They saw a chance to steal some fucking booze or to steal some piece of electronic whatever that they wanted, and they took it. There's absolutely no message behind it. They are completely, uh, complete fools with no meaning behind their actions other than seizing an opportunity that's there. And I'm hoping that these people actually get what's coming to them. And, and really, in the grand scheme of things, they will. I mean, they're going to you know, pretty much set their own fate for failure. And, and that's really something to be said here. When you go out of your way to break the law, to seize on opportunity that's illegal, you always end up worse than you started. I've never met someone that's seized an illegal opportunity and that's ended up on top. Ever. Have you? I mean, I would love to hear it if you have. Please send the information to me, info at 9centspodcast.com. But I'm betting, I'm betting that you haven't. And that's something to keep in mind. Lex Talionis all the way, baby. If these fucking kids, I don't care if they're 9, I don't care if they're 37, are going and breaking into people's private property, their stores stealing from them, you know, ruining their livelihood, well, they need to have their hands cut off. 
They need to suffer the consequences of their actions. Now I know it's never going to happen, and we'll be lucky if they even take a rubber bullet to the chest, though all of them should. They're going to end up in the worst for it. And I'm not talking about no Eastern fucking <clears throat> karma bullshit here. I'm just talking about the reality, the chaotic reality of the natural universe. It's going to fucking happen. All right, so I talk a bunch of bullshit about that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Apes hold off the help at box office. Uh, talking about Planet of the Apes prequel. Not interested at all. Disney halts production on the Lone Ranger. They absolutely should. I actually enjoyed, you know, as a kid, the Lone Ranger. I enjoyed that show a lot. And I actually had like this, I don't know, it was like a 12-inch doll of the Lone Ranger. And I believe he had like stirrups and he had like this horse that he fucking rode on. And as a kid, it was really cool. But what is it about Hollywood that says we have to remake everything that we had any type of emotional connection with as a child? Have they truly run out of, like, all original ideas that they have to really latch on to? Just these, if you played them now, would be laughed off of the air. Cheesy, ridiculous storylines. But at the time when you're kids, you don't know any better, so you think it's fantastic. So, hey, let's remake that. It's great. Bullshit. It's all shit. Anything made pre-1985, I'm making a line here, an arbitrary line for no reason at all, but anything pre-1985, do not, I repeat, do not remake. Please, Hollywood executives, Hollywood producers, come up with an original idea. I have to tell you, there are a lot of writers out there with a lot of great ideas. You don't have to recreate crap. And you, you do it thinking that you have this existing audience that's somehow going to make you a couple bucks not only repaying the money that you dump into these shit movies or TV programs. It's not going to fucking happen. You're going to end up in the hole. And it's not because of the economy. It's because you're relying on a shit idea to begin with. Come up with something original. There are more than enough people to donate their fucking time if need be. There are scripts out there worthy of freaking writing, and you're wasting it with reruns and remakes. It's ridiculous. I can't really remember why I just went off on that, but holy shit, it bothers me. <laughs> just come up with something original, Hollywood. I, I'm really tired of it, and I know I'm not the only one. I know it. All right. Let's see what else we got here that I can comment on before moving on here. UN Clueless about Arctic sea ice. Meh. Darkest alien planet. Blacker than coal. Cool. Cool. Nothing interesting there. Google Plus says about Facebook. Let me talk about Google Plus for a second here. Now, I, I've used Google Plus since uh, the same week that they came out. And I got an invite to it thanks to a fellow in the satanic community. Thank you, Hydra. Um, and I've actually... i got to tell you, I like... Google Plus more than any other social networking platform. I know some people have said that it's difficult to use whatever, but the privacy controls that you have far surpass any other social platform. Um, it, it is a safe platform for those of you who don't use SatanNet. Uh, and though, if you're a Satanist, I think you should absolutely you know log into SatanNet.com, the Undercroft, and, and use it. But 
if you don't. Google Plus, in my opinion, is the way to go. You know, Twitter is literally like people sitting on a toilet and just shouting down the hall, can I get some toilet paper? Like, like that's really what Twitter is. It's just pure, banal bullshit. Facebook is literally transitioning into the MySpace, where it's more about a collection of friends and broadcasting bullshit that your kid did on their fu- Your kids are ugly. We don't want to fucking see them. We don't want to talk about them. I don't care. Okay, that, that's really all Facebook is. And, you know, your parents are getting on there, so people are sort of pulling back what they would normally say or normally talk about and shit. Whatever. It's not interesting. So if you don't have Facebook, and you don't have Twitter, you certainly don't have MySpace, because that's shit. And if you don't use Satanet for whatever reason, all you're left with is MySpace, and and that's it. No one's going to fucking use MySpace. No, it's, it's a total fucking way. Even the investors, the people that bought MySpace, don't want MySpace. They fucking sold it. So, you know, social networking, it, ultimately, it's worthless. I think social networking is a total joke. It's totally worthless. There's no reason to fucking watch it at all. However, if you do, try Google+. Plus, Give it a go. It's still in beta. If you need an invite, let me know. Um, I don't even know why I'm shilling for them. You know what? Never mind. Fuck, fuck Google+. Plus. Stick to the blogs. Stick to browsing the web like you have forever. Don't do anything. We don't need to connect with each other. <laughs> yeah, totally meaningless there. Uh, you know what? Now is as good a time as any. <laughs> I, You know, I was raised by girls. Uh, my mom and my two older sisters. And they had always um, had me watch uh, musicals and musical movies. Footloose and Flashdance, stuff like that. You know, the 80s were ripe with it. So the sound of music really influenced me as a kid. Not because of its internal message, uh, but just because my sisters always watched it, so I had to watch it too. So I've prepared a little uh, couple phrase sound of music song here for you. So right after I sing this little mini song, we're going to jump into the creature feature with the interview from Ari Bach about his surrealist tarot deck. I hope you'll uh, bear with me here. It's, it's really brief, <laughs> but I feel like I should do it anyway. <laughs> Women and whiskey, barbecue and hiking, Xbox the Rat Pack, occult books and biking. Using both hands when you go down on me. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> Pride in my country and honoring our veterans. Singing to my girl to give her attention. Hanging with close friends while we're brewing. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> that was terrible. When I have a cold, when I'm lonely, when I'm feeling sad, I need to remember these few little things and then I don't feel. <laughs> this is terrible. So bad. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit perverted, but not so bad. <laughs> Let's go ahead, without any further ado, and move into the creature feature. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear 
painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She moves in the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. I've got a very special guest for you today. I have Ari Bach, and we're going to be talking about his Surrealist Tarot deck, just released to actually grand acclaim. Everyone absolutely loves this tarot deck. Thank you so much, Ari, for joining me. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's truly a pleasure on my end here. I, I wanted to have you on the show for um, a, a couple reasons here. Primarily to talk about the Surrealist Tarot deck that you had created all from hand, really amazing artwork. I was wondering if maybe if we could just dive right into it and, and you could let me know what was the genesis for this tarot deck? What, what made it so you wanted to, to, one, create a tarot deck, and two, uh, in this style? Well, I've always liked the imagery of especially the tarot trumps, even as a kid, before I, long before I understood what any of them meant. It was just interesting to me that there was always this set of something of a story, at least Crowley called it a story, that always had the same elements but mixed and matched in very different ways in exhaustively different styles. And I had always wanted to do something like that, just as any artist probably would. But then, let's see, there was a movie called Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky in which he talked about the tarot as... Boy, I don't even know how to repeat what he said. He used it as a basis for a lot of the story. He did the same thing with his comic book series, The Incal. And then there were also just my ventures into various occult things. White, um, he's pretty much the main author about the tarot deck that's accepted these days. Then there's Crowley's more bizarre take on it. Yeah, the Thoth and also deck. his sorry the Thoth deck right the Thoth deck and his approach to it where he said it doesn't have to be something that you use for divination the tarot deck isn't for telling the future it's a tool for introspection which he meant on a somewhat different level mm -hmm. than I intended but just for a pure psychological thing you have a question you're wondering what to do about something pull a tarot card at random and if the imagery is something that you can get into then you can find an answer in it somehow however broadly interpreted and as with anything in satanism there's no wrong interpretation of a religion it's whatever it means to you yeah. then after crowley there was magister sprague whose gates of hell is a whole new take on it as revolutionary as what crowley did but tailored to Satanists specifically where, and that's another one where the approach is far too complex and brilliantly conceived for me to even comment on it. I highly <laughs> recommend the book, though, Gates of Hell. That is the book that actually got me off my butt to draw the tarot deck. <laughs> nice. It was the first time I saw something where it was not just, oh, that's an interesting approach or that's a really beautiful card. It was, here's how I could do it. So that inspired me to ditch a couple trumps, make a couple trumps of my own for my own purposes, reset how everything had Kabbalistic interpretations, which card responded to which element, just 
shift everything to how I please to do it and being a surrealist artist that always went without saying that I could just draw whatever the heck I pleased mm-hmm. I love surrealism as a genre because if you find you need to draw the king of swords or something and the iconic king of swords is XXX and you have no desire to draw that whatsoever then you draw a toaster oven and it's every bit as valid artistically (laughs) yes absolutely that's cool I I really love that you know sometimes you run into people and and they sort of just uh, take on a project because they think that A they will either make some money off of it um, or B they can just sort of do their own artistic take on it and not have anything behind it not have anything backing it and, you know, with something with like a, a tarot deck, you know, you, everything is about what's behind it. You know, and and I love that you you, you know, you're steeped in that aspect of it. You're you're educated in the um, the history of tarot, and and there's there's an actual passion there with it. And I think that's so important. And what I find so fantastic is that obviously it comes out in the art as well, and then you get to you know enjoy it for a whole different reason, and that's just aesthetically. You know, it's just a beautiful piece of work. It's really fantastic. I can only imagine large projects like this with so many cards that there have to be points while you're creating this deck um, that you just get in a lull or you just you don't want to finish it. Um, how how long have you been working on this as a project? And have there been points where you just didn't want to continue? And, and and if so, you know what kept you going. Uh, What kept me going is that I had made the probably extremely unwise, artistically speaking, decision to post them one by one on LTTD daily. Um, That's on Letters to the Devil, the message board. Mm -hmm. And what that did is if I ever did have a lull or a time where I just said, well, okay, I finished it. I don't have to do that anymore or I'm just giving up on it then I would have a post forever shown on LTTD in front of all of <laughs> Satanists saying, Art started a tarot deck and didn't finish it, which is just a massive mark of shame. So <laughs> to avoid that shame was a huge motivator. But in addition, I didn't find that I really needed it. There were a lot of places I could have stopped. There are the 12 trumps that are core to my own personal deck, there are the 20-some trumps, depending on whose system you use. I could have stopped at either of those. But in the end, it's just so much fun, I had no real desire to stop. Each uh, card, I, I guess, I always have a kind of unending desire to draw something. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem I ever run into is what should I draw? I would bug my parents with that nonstop all the time and they you know it's hard to tell a surrealist what to draw because you can draw absolutely anything so the tarot deck I had that overwhelming urge to draw something compounded with a very specific yet open-ended suggestion of what to draw there were 78 cards to do and I could do anything I wanted for them but there was a suggestion behind each one for the fool I ended up doing some sort of odd beastly creature fishing for mermaids which if you really want to look for it has some sort of meaning to it but in the end it was just what should I draw you should draw a fool it's 
somebody at the beginning of their journey, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, someone who can go anywhere and become anything. And I have completely forgotten how I turned that into a creature fishing for mermaids. <laughs> it's a water car, which is why it's raining and in the water and mermaids and all the like. Um, I think the card might have actually started with just drawing a goofy, foolish face. And the finger monster that evolved out of it just came from that. But for how I work, tarot cards were a great, great inspiration. The following series I did of the Stations of the Cross, which was a blasphemous and extraordinarily weird, at least I hope it was really weird, <laughs> take on the Stations was an attempt to recapture that tarot inspiration where it's a bunch of very specific things. And I fully admit that some of them I just changed completely with the tarot cards where the iconography was something utterly dull or meaningless to me. But for some reason on that day, I really felt like drawing a walrus with an Uzi or something. <laughs> um, nice. I don't think that's one of the cards, but there you go. Where can, uh, if someone wants to see those Station of the Cross uh, images, where can they go to see that? Those are on my DeviantArt page as well as LTTD in the art section. My DeviantArt page is aribach.deviantart.com. Uh, just go to slash gallery to skip all of the common DeviantArt. Here are my favorite songs. Here's my iPod and yeah. read my journal crud. Okay. So let's go back to this tarot deck really quick here. Um, what, uh, what are some of your favorite cards in this deck? Or do you have any? I'd have to be looking at them. A few of them definitely turned out. I'd certainly have some least favorite. There's one with a attempt at drawing a human face that I drew like over, I drew over it maybe ten times trying to get it to look right, and it never did. And the day was out, and I just said, okay, time to move on to the next card. They can't all be winners. Yeah. Um, there are a lot that I think came out really well. There are two cards that are based on portraits. It's one of a Church of Satan witch and one of Dr. LeVay that I think turned out extremely well. Then there are various surreal monsters. There's one card called the Beast that came out really well. Um, but also my favorite cards shift from day to day. Sometimes I'll see one and think damn, I did really well on that one, and then the next day I'll think that one's very plain and average, but this one kicks ass, and then the next day I'll say, why did I think that kicks ass? <laughs> in it. It's just a bunch of dots. That's great. I was going to actually ask you this um, a, a little bit later here, but um, so in the process of creating these um, th these tarot cards, some of the, the images that you've chosen to represent the meanings behind the card are much more... Uh, realistic versus surrealistic uh, images um, that adorn actually the majority of them. Was there a reason behind that? It relates purely to the content. If the content is a person's face, such as Dr. LeVay, yeah. obviously you have to do it realistically. A cartoon one would not fit the deck at all. Whereas one of the cards is actually the bonus level from a Super Mario game. Uh, <laughs> it's the nine of pentacles, so that's nine coins, the pentacle deck also being coins. So it's a Super Mario Brothers episode. I could draw it. I even considered pixelating it in Photoshop. Oh, wow. But that one could be drawn very cartoony. Some of the cards are also much funnier. The Ace of Wands is a 
alien creature with a remote control pointing yeah. it at the TV. Um, which, again, it fits what the content is. A wand is a magical object for doing your will. So for most people, the wand they use most is probably their remote control. Absolutely. I guess also called a wand, but it's an alien with tentacles, and it's kind of a funny card. So that one's very cartoonish. That's, that's great. And I actually like the, the variations. You, you never really get bored looking at these. There's, there's always something that sort of pulls you in when you're looking at it. I was wondering if I could ask you about a couple of specific cards. Um, there, there, there's two that I really uh, am curious about specifically. The Norn. Now, um, if I could uh, describe this for for the listeners here. Uh, and you know what? Actually, l- let me have you describe it because I don't want to do any injustice to it here. Certainly. The Norn depicts a headless, somewhat translucent figure pulling a strand out of the water in front of a cloudy background. The genesis of that comes from the Wheel of Fortune card. I translated the Wheel of Fortune into the Norns, kind of switching mythology there, but they're still the masters of fate, or at least the people who are, there are three of them, they're spinning fate. Uh, There's only one because I just had three devils for the devil card, so I figured I'll switch which one is three and which one is one. Um, It's a, I forget if it's air or water, but that's either why it's translucent or why it's in water, respectively. I'm afraid I don't, uh, I haven't memorized the system behind it exactly. But um, it's pulling something out of the water, spinning that thread of fate. So equivalent to Wheel of Fortune again, it's whatever is going to happen is what's depicted on the card, though it's spun by something mindless because I'm not into the whole predestination thing, mm-hmm. unless you're talking about like at a quantum level, but um, it was either going to be that or Kyle Reese carving no fate but what we make for ourselves into a table. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, what I really like about this on an artistic level is is how you you did the translucence, how, how you um, created that effect. Uh, I like to consider myself an artist of sorts, and uh, I, I think it's, it's just really nice to look at. It, it's fun. It's just one of those cards that just stood out immediately as I saw it. Uh, another one I'd like to talk about is the... I, this one immediately stood out to me, and I, I didn't want to talk about it because it seemed obvious to me, but I have so much fun. I, I don't know. I, I get a sense of joy out of, of looking at it. Here. Um, it's the slave. I don't know why I love this card so much, but okay, so essentially it's this mass with these uh, what appear to be gigantic uh, you know uh, pre-civilization um, mother goddess breasts sitting on this it looks like you know, it could be like a granite ball being pulled by this tiny, tiny little creature through what seems to be either uh, immensely thick mud or, or water. And obviously it's the slave, um, a.k.a. The, the chariot in traditional tarot, as described on your website here. It's just so much fun to look at. There's like these great little details in, in not only the, the gigantic mass that's being pulled, the master, uh, in this, uh, it looks like there could be, I don't know, almost like like veins or something. Um, 
like going through it. What was it like creating this card? Uh, and I don't know, did you have fun creating it? Uh, what was the the environment you were trying to, or, or the the atmosphere you were trying to create with this? Um, I don't know if there. I was going so much for an atmosphere. It's definitely somewhat comical. It's a big, massive blob, and those are just so much fun to draw and shade in. That one has some pretty meticulous shading on it because it has such big, smooth areas. Um, Sometimes I enjoy drawing extraordinarily well-shaded pictures, and sometimes I like scribbling them in. This one, I just... I was in a more relaxed mood, so I felt like doing it meticulously. Um, There are veins, because whenever I want something to be disgusting and morbidly obese, it's going to (laughs) have, like, kind of a job of the hut texture. um, But yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun to draw, especially the texture on the sphere that it's rolling on. But as you said, it is the chariot, which has been commandeered by the system I've got behind mine, to mean something that is not the master of itself, but at least it's doing something. The In the 12 chord cards of my own, the highest of cards is the sorceress, which is a strong-willed master of the universe that makes things as it sees. The weakest is the fool, which is completely lazy, subjective, and aimless. So being a slave, at least you're off your butt, but you're still doing what somebody else wants. So that's a card for everybody who's got a blue-collar job or something. And in this case, it's a small creature tugging a disgusting giant creature, which I think is pretty much how everybody has had a boss like that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. And if not a boss in government. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it can be anything, and... You know, even if we are grandmasters of our own fate, we all know that maybe Siddhartha didn't, but we all know what it's like to be a slave to somebody else's will. And so that's a great topic to expand on. Also, um, the mother goddess look of it, I guess if somebody wanted to, they could interpret that as being a slave to ancient religions, the most ancient religions. Honestly, though, it's mostly because I really enjoy drawing giant boobs, and you'll see them in pretty much, I don't know, like 40% of the cards have some sort of breasted figure. Female figures are just the most fun thing to draw there is. Here, here, I I absolutely agree. Uh, And the best to look at, I think. So, (laughs) did you have a demographic in mind when you were creating this? Um... From a design perspective, I was the only one. I knew that there would be other Satanists out there especially who would enjoy it. I knew that some people in various art communities would enjoy it. Um, The concept behind it is 100% for me, though there's kind of a post-concept in there that I wanted to be able to use it by any tarot system, which is why it has 78 cards instead of just the 12 that I need for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say need, I should stress, I'm not actually a humongous tarot nut. It was just something that I thought would be cool more than something I need for any specific magical working. For anybody who can appreciate it, and, well, you said earlier that... uh, it's not quite as 
you know, it's a more noble pursuit to design something from the inside out than it is to just do it for money or uh, whatever else. I was totally hoping it would get published. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's nice to draw all sorts of cool things, but making a living on it is just the best possible place to be. Yeah, and it's also that you know that that, that validation element. I think. I mean, I'm I'm a graphic designer by trade, and so I certainly understand the idea of of creating something and wanting it to be appreciated. And I, I you know, at some level, that's really why a lot of us do what we do as, as artists, is because we want someone to see it and say, "Hey, wow, that's that's quality work." To sort of validate what we already feel like is truth, you know. And you know, that's not the only reason, but it, there's an element of it, and so. That goes hand in hand. If it sells, if you make money off of it, if if you're capable of even in the most minute levels of of, of supporting yourself off of something that you're passionate about and that you put your you know a, a piece of you into, and that's a huge payback and validation and and uh, uh, confidence. I think it's also a matter of safety to some extent. It's my worst nightmare to have all of my artwork wiped off the face of the earth and nobody ever see it again. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is I wanted to get it off the internet into a physical form. Um, the drawings themselves are there, but you know it's a pain in the butt to make copies and nobody's going to see them anyway. Mm-hmm. Getting them seen by as many people as possible is definitely a goal. That's where I'm seeking my own immortality, so to speak, is in creating a body of work that will live on for as long as possible. And now I've got that tarot deck in the hands of a whole lot of tarot collectors who have already bought the deck, a bunch of friends who I'm happy to have the deck, and it's just cool to have a copy that I can take around. I actually went to a couple bookstores today. One of them was just a local bookstore, and they've agreed to carry the deck. Oh, hell yeah. Take a look at doing so. The other one was our local New Age store where they do psychic readings and tarot readings and sell tons of tarot decks. Nice. And I went in and I, I was like so proud because they love local people and I thought this is a shoe in and I said I, I've got my own tarot deck. I just published it. I would be honored if you would hold it here. And they refused to look at it outright because it wasn't published by whatever conglomerate this company is exclusive to. So um, I probably should have made some remark about karma or something, but (laughs) that's uh, the happy, hippie, new age, let's all be friends shop that wouldn't look at it because the company whose tarot decks they buy. What a bunch of shit. Since they can't go to that store to buy it, where can people purchase your deck? Uh, you can buy it from Tarot Smith. Yeah, you can see the deck in its entirety and even get online re- readings at surrealist.tarosmith.com. But just do a Google search for Tarot Smith, and you'll see my deck, the creator, Jeremy Lampkin, who designed a brilliant deck of his own called the Bifrost Tarot. You'll see one by somebody named Ash. The artistic quality is a bit gloomier than mine, but it's absolute. It's one of the most compelling decks I've ever seen. And they have a new deck up there. I don't recall the name of it, but it's a vibrant, colorful, and interesting one. But mine is just called the Surrealist Deck at Tarot Smith. Uh, Google them and give them some business. They've been extraordinarily kind and it's been great working with them Uh, absolutely 
are, are there any other projects that you're working on that you might want to talk uh, about briefly here? Right now, the other things I'm working on are a web comic called The Snail Factory, which just got picked up by TwistedGenius.com. Cool. That's Twisted Genius with a J for genius. They've also been extraordinarily cool people about it. Then, in addition to Snail Factory, I'm still trying to get a novel out there that I wrote. It's called Valhalla. You can find it on Lulu.com. Actually, if you look for Valhalla, it should be the first book to come up. That one is a sci-fi action novel of explosions and future guns and all sorts of gratuitous R-rated material. Nice. Um, but mostly it's just a fun future adventure, very loosely based on Norse mythology. That one I'm still trying to find a larger publisher for. I've self-published it at this point and at least gotten it out there. But it was written with... This is one that was definitely written with money in mind. I designed it, the concept behind it to be... uh, It follows kind of a futuristic spy academy for the first part. And the genesis of that was Harry Potter's setting meets Star Wars's uh, location meets James Bond's suave popularity. So it was wow. really a it was just a cold attempt at making money by merging the three most popular money making prizes. <laughs> but I've inserted a good deal of my own humor and character and story into there. So I don't think anybody would find it too unoriginal. It, it's certain. It, it might need some sparkling vampires, I think. <laughs> right. Um, and they could all get shot and murdered horribly. That would please a lot of people right now. Or, or some singing high school kids, maybe. It doesn't have singing high school kids. I completely left those out. I, I don't know what I was thinking. That probably explains why none of the agents will look at it. <laughs> or maybe it's the horrific ghastly violence it opens with but there are fans for that there's a market for horrific ghastly violence absolutely i'm gonna have to check that out so that's valhalla and and you self-published it where on lulu.com okay so get out there and and look that up and uh buy it gratuitous anything is great (laughs) and hopefully a uh a um internet version of that should be less than a year away but who knows it it depends on who I run into. I just met a very, very interesting man through work who is willing to take a look at it. He's a published author, and you know how they say it's not what you can do but who you know. Well, he knows everybody, so if he likes right. it, I've got a good chance of getting it published and put in Barnes & Noble and, Bor- or I guess, not Borders, uh, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. I'm at least enjoying scavenging off of their on-sale carcass right now. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think that's you know. I mean, we are inundated with um, with uh, self publishing and blogs, um, just everywhere you turn right now. So I, I can imagine that it's challenging to get anything out. And I know um, just some you know personal projects I worked on. I, I know it's it can be challenging, and you really have to dump a significant amount of your time into it before you see anything back. But that's why we do it, you know. We do it because it's a passion and uh, we just keep it up. Well, Ari, um, it has truly been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, yes, thank you for having me. I wish you the best of luck with this tarot deck. And as uh, uh, a note for everyone and all of my listeners out there, uh, whether you like 
quality artwork or whether you're a collector uh, or whether you just want to help support a fantastic artist, uh, get out there and pick up this Surrealist Tarot deck. It is uh, definitely worth it. You know what? Until uh, until we talk again, hail Satan. Well, let's start closing this podcast down, shall we? Uh, one more song. I've actually got a couple more lined up, but I'm just going to do one more. And this is Frank Sinatra. It was a very good year. When I was 17... It was a very good year. It was a very good year for small town girls and soft summer nights. We'd hide from the lights on the village green when I was seventeen. When I was 21, it was a very good year. It was a very good year for city girls who lived up the stair with all that perfumed hair. And it came undone when I was 21. When I was 35, it was a very good year. It was a very good year for blue bloody girls of independent means. We'd ride in limousines. <laughs> the chauffeurs would drive. When I was 35 <laughs> But now the day grows short I'm in the autumn of my year And now I think of myself as vintage wine From fine old kegs from the brim to the dregs And it poured sweet and clear It was a very good year <laughs> uh, I gotta tell you Thank you for joining me I know this has been an obscure episode to say the least and I've had a number of people come into the live show and exit quickly and I'm okay with that I'm okay with that let's go ahead and bring this on home shall we it's been a long episode and that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. 
You can visit the Undercroft Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for nine cents and get updated on weekly topics. I'm also now on Google Plus, so add me to your circle there. You can also listen for the show. You can also listen to the show through Radio Free Satan. Or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents. Don't forget, if you are getting this via iTunes, take a second, give me a rating, give me a comment, good or bad, I appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit undercroft at satanet.com and if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices or personalities or music or anything fucking else visit Radio Free Satan an online streaming radio station you know what here's the fucking drink because I'm pretty messed up right now uh, however, before I go, I would once again uh, like to talk briefly about my children's book, How Crow Got His Scare Back. And though in my current state it may not be the most opportune time to mention it, I would like to say that it uh, it teaches children to look inside themselves for strength and uh, look inside themselves to overcome their own individual fears rather than some invisible man in the sky who always seems to be out of money. It's rarer and rarer nowadays to find a children's book that speaks in a nonpartisan way to the core principles that children experience, we'll say. That was my goal with How Crow Got a Scare Back. I've, uh, I've met a, a lot of fine individuals through this book. And though many of them have nothing to do with Satanism as, in, uh, as a structure, as an organization, as a mindset, uh, it's always a pleasure to interact with individuals that appreciate your work. So let me give a big-hearted thank you to everyone, and I'm not finished providing content uh, added value to those of you who have purchased the book. There are more wallpapers to be added. There are more follow-up stories and commentaries. So stay in tune for that, and you can find that at adampcampbell.com forward slash crow and once again thank you for joining me and as always i'm your host adam campbell and until next week hail satan